and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. We're here in the month of May this time, and of course, we'd like to wish all of you, may the 4th be with you. And uh, actually, as you're listening to this, this will be releasing on the Revenge of the 6th. So uh, we wish you a happy Revenge of the 6th as well. But in general, we're starting to enter the warmer the warmer months. Still stuck inside, though. But I'm here as usual. I'm Illegal86, and I'm joined by my fantastic friends and compatriots, Nerd Bomber and Technic. Say hello to the folks at home. Hello, and happy Cinco de Mayo as well. Ew. Oh, right. It, it, Cinco de Mayo came between the two days that I mentioned. It's been a busy week. It has. In terms of And it fell on a Taco Tuesday. The best time to have a Cinco de Mayo. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I actually... We're recording this on Cinco de Mayo, so happy Cinco de Mayo, indeed. I know you guys ate tacos today. Not to not to out your personal business, but I saw pictures. I did not. I kind of missed the boat on that one. But in this household, every day is, can be Taco Tuesday, if you just, if you imagine, you know? Well, let me just say, yeah. if the reason you had tacos was because you, you didn't have tacos is because you don't have tortilla shells, they are super easy to make. All you need is flour, olive oil water and that is it for a second i thought you were gonna say all you need is love and i was gonna say yes that is tortillas oh and salt salt you need salt that was that's what i was missing we've actually been going hard on the we we usually do flour we're a flour tortilla family usually but a couple weeks ago because i wanted to make like these enchiladas we got corn tortillas we had some left over and we made corn tortilla tacos and i gotta tell you guys that's a game changer like it might just be because i'm so used to flour tortillas and it was like a new thing but so wait, you used the you, corn, corn, yellow corn tortillas for enchiladas, or did you yes, just forego the enchiladas? We did, we did do the enchiladas. Actually, we made an enchilada, and we're getting into the details now. But I'm happy to do so. We made what I call enchilasagna, which is exactly what it sounds like. See, just layers of enchiladas in a casserole dish. Oh my god, it was hot, my hot take is that the corn tortillas taste better. However. They don't hold together well when you're eating them as a taco. Using them okay, as so an enchilada true. is fine because you're already foregoing the hands on this dish eating. You're just already using forks and knives. So that's definitely true. Eating corn tortilla taco, we, we sh- yeah, I should put a disclaimer on this. I think it tastes better, but it requires a steady hand. Because if you make one false move with those things, you get rippage, you get seepage. It's not a good time for anybody. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. But actually, today for dinner, product placement, shout out. Y'all ever have this Beyond Meat stuff? We've tried oh it. Oh my God. We, we actually, I, we had a vegan phase for like a month. Yeah, that's when I lost we, my gallbladder. We're not even close to vegan here, but like, and we I shouldn't say like we've never had it. We've had, we've had it many times before, but we took a long break because it wasn't available at grocery stores and now it's kind of back in stock. The Beyond Sausage, guys. It's like a brat. Looks like a brat. Tastes like a brat. It's not a brat. Like I, I know it sounds like a commercial, and it sounds like we're being paid by Beyond, and we're not. It's just I, I was really digging it. Tacos are going to come later this week, though. We do. We're like a once a week taco family. I feel like so. we have like a semblance of tacos. So we have traditional tacos a little more infrequently lately. We were eating them at like a tick of about one or two a week, but we kind of slowed down on that, and we probably only have it every other week. But tortillas are very versatile, and we are going on a tangent. But I will say like. PBJ sandwich, super great. Chicken wraps. Chicken wraps. On a tortilla? Oh my gosh, yeah. Peanut butter and jelly on a tortilla is phenomenal. You have to make sure. So basically, if you take a tortilla shell and you do half peanut butter and half jelly and then just fold it in half, you kind of make like a little taco thing. And you have to make sure the proportions are right because if you put too much jelly, then it gets a little like 
too sweet and messy to eat. But if you do the proportions right, it's amazing. I still think it's more hearty hearty than white bread. So it doesn't matter if I go hard on mine. This is eye-opening. I mean, unfortunately, right now, I don't think we have any flour tortillas in the house. I don't think that would work with corn tortillas. But who knows? Maybe I'll try it. Anyways, we're not here, believe it or not, the first however long, three, four minutes of this podcast probably leads you to believe we're just going to be talking about Mexican food the whole time. And uh, we'll have to put that episode off for another day because we're actually here to talk about a few different things. Of course, we have some Star Wars news to run down given given the holidays of the week that we've already mentioned. We're also going to be talking about this new Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer that we saw. And then, of course, uh, we heard a little bit more this week about... Well, actually, I think it was the first formal announcement of a live-action Hercules, which, frankly, you didn't need to like read tea leaves to see that coming. But uh, we're going to talk about that, who they have who they're eyeing to have direct and and maybe we'll talk about some of our ideal casting choices as well so should be a fun episode and let's dive right into it and talk a little bit more about star wars so the first big big news is kind of a two-part topic here but the first bit of news has to do with the actual films and disney has announced this past week that there's a new star wars movie coming and it's going to be directed by taika waititi which if you're not if you aren't familiar with taika he did Jojo Rabbit, perhaps most famously Thor Ragnarok is, is one of the ones he's really known for. And, and especially considering the fact that Star Wars is a franchise that's on par with Marvel. That's kind of the the, the, the data point. He's also he's, played our favorite nanny robot. Yes. In the, that's right. In The Mandalorian. Uh, and he actually, he directed an episode of The, of the Mandalorian as well. Mm-hmm. So has some Star Wars experience. I, that's a good point. I should have noted that uh, earlier on. So, yeah, I mean, th- this is... I, I talked, I have a friend who is kind of a Taika YTT. It's kind of a weird sentence, but like he's a Taika YTT purist. Like he likes Taika, like he likes what we do in the shadows. And I think he felt okay about Jojo Rabbit, but he really likes like Taika's older stuff, like Hunt for the Wilder People and Eagle versus Shark and stuff like that. And he was upset about this because he feels, he feels like Taika is like selling out. I'm excited because I think Thor Ragnarok is one of the better Marvel movies and certainly for the Thor trilogy, it was like it was, it was a very put a very unique spin on things. I would think that this Star Wars movie might be headed in a comedic direction, which might scare you considering what Solo tried and failed to do. But I don't know. Overall, I'm I'm definitely into it. Uh, we don't know anything about what the movie's going to be about. Uh, we just know that uh, YTT is going to direct and co-write. I'm very excited so, about yeah. this. I. Again, I really liked Thor Ragnarok. It was actually one of the only Thor movies that I really enjoyed watching and probably one of my favorite Marvel movies in the last few years as well. And I really enjoyed what he brought to The Mandalorian and both his acting capabilities, but also the episode that he directed. If I'm remembering which episode it was correctly, I'm pretty sure it was the one last of my one. favorite. Yeah, that was like one of yeah. the most epic episodes of the entire Mandalorian series. So I'm very excited about this because obviously we've seen what he can do with some of these bigger properties. He can bring that, uh, I don't know how you would describe his humor, but like that kind of smart it's, humor. It's like smart and witty, but also sometimes dumb at the same time. It, it's a very versatile sense of humor. And we see that in Thor Ragnarok. I'm sure he'll be bringing that to Thor Love and Thunder. And I'm looking forward to see what he can do with that in the Star Wars universe. Because... In my opinion, the last few Star Wars movies, besides Solo, really suffered from a feeling that they kind of took themselves too seriously a little bit, because sure. there was a lot of things about the, the last Star Wars trilogy that needed to be serious, but then 
I'm having a difficult time. I got you. I'm so yeah. glad you said that because in a lot of these serious movies, these serious roles, you need something to break it up or else it's just draining, for lack of a better term. And I think in some of his other films, like Thor Ragnarok, he has done that successfully, right? There was some strife that Thor had to go to and overcome, but also was broken up with when he saw his old buddy Hulk and the camaraderie between them. So I think overall, I'm I'm, I'm getting some good positive vibes about this uh, potential movie. Well, not potential movie, this movie. And uh, I'm going to hold off on the skepticism for now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... So I think you you hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways. Both of you did in, in terms of like I think so, so. So Solo was a project that from the beginning. I mean, you guys remember the news report? We talked about it on the podcast. I'm sure that it was all over the board. At one point, it was compared to Ace Ventura, and then what the final product was was not nearly as funny. Was still trying to be funny, but it was doing so in a way that was very. I have to its credit, kind of more befitting of han solo in terms of like han solo's brand of humor is this very smart alecky thing and taika's brand of humor is much more the word i want to use i don't know if it's the correct one but i want to say irreverent in the sense that he i don't think taika ytt is the kind of director who cares what property he's working with whether it's a multi-billion dollar property or something that is no one's property and he just made up he's not going to take it too seriously and he's not going to drain the energy from it by not poking fun at the situation of the characters. I mean, that, I've never actually seen what we do in the shadows, but my understanding is it's funny vampires, which is like vampires are not funny and they're probably meant to be taken seriously and they want to be taken seriously. But to put a comedic spin on that obviously creates a pretty compelling result. And I think there's a lot of potential for that here as well. You know, Star Wars is by definition, something that takes itself very seriously, you know, in terms of, everyone saying may the force be with you very gravely to each other and everyone having a bad feeling about this you know like it's it's very it's campy yes but it's it's not going for laughs most of the time so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here and it's it's worth noting so, so first of all right now the best estimate for this is 2022 obviously that's subject to change especially considering what's going on in the world right now but it's also worth noting that that disney hasn't really said you know whether this is going to be the start of a trilogy or this another standalone project like Rogue One or Solo. And also, you know, if it's going to pertain to characters that we already know and love. So there's, there's a lot that's not yet known, but it's definitely exciting. I, I mean, I mean, Star Wars has, to my mind, a bit of a checkered, pa- checkered recent past in terms of directors that they've worked with. You know, I think Ron Howard came in and saved Solo, whereas I love Phil Lord and Chris Miller, but apparently they were taking it in the wrong direction. So that's, that's your checkered past right there. But you also have Ryan Johnson, who, again, I think is perfectly suited for projects that are not Star Wars, but it didn't work out with Star Wars. I wasn't a fan of his work there, but I really liked what J.J. Abrams did specifically with Episode Seven. So I, I have to give Lucasfilm and Disney credit for seeing a talent like Taika Waititi, who I think his brand is very dissimilar from what Star Wars does. And them seeing that and saying, let's go get him is... Uh, bold bold at the very least and potentially lucrative at best well i think it'll be good too in if this truly is the start of the next trilogy or franchise direction for the star wars movie empire that's what i'll call it because now with all of the the television series that will be coming out of disney plus i feel like there probably will be a distinction between the cinematic star wars universe and what we see and get in televised format right 
Um, and I feel like by getting a completely different tone from what they had before, I feel like that will be a really good thing to kind of separate the Skywalker saga from everything that will be coming in the near future then. Right. Well, and, and, and that's key, because whether or not it becomes a trilogy or is a standalone film is it's kind of crucial, right? Because I, so the sequel trilogy, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think it was the best received thing in the world. Sure, it was a huge moneymaker, but when people compare it to the original trilogy, of course, and even the prequel trilogy, I think a lot of people aren't wowed by it and, and would put that on the bottom in terms of if we're ranking the trilogies. So they have a critical decision in front of them, Disney and Lucasfilm do, in that, you know, do they want to keep, you know, as much as they're saying the Skywalker saga has ended, I don't buy that. I don't think you should buy that. I want it to be, though. I want it to be I, over. I want it to be, too. I want it to be, too. But I, I just, I don't know if if the IP is capable of supporting anything else. I mean, we've seen glimmers of hope there with the Mandalorian and things of that nature. But, like, I don't know. I, I think for that reason, this movie could be a huge jumping off point because it it could signal if it becomes uh, a part of a longer running trilogy or what, what have you, it could signal a huge tonal shift and a, and a shift to to different characters, new characters that can belong fully to this generation. And, you know, the sequel trilogy did kind of try to do that with certain characters, but the arcs were a mess through the entire sequel trilogy and they, a lot of them sputtered in the end. So it's, it's just, I don't know. It's also going to be interesting to see if they do a trilogy, if they stick with Taika the whole way through, if they learn anything from, Oh, please. (laughs) From the mosaic that they made with the, with the sequel trilogy, because that I think was the root cause of a lot of its problems. Yeah, consistency is definitely an important takeaway. Right. And I, I think you could say the same thing about Solo, where Solo, you know, I bet based on what he's done, Ron Howard came in and killed it, but he came into something that was halfway done. So there's only so much he could do, and it was already behind schedule and yada, yada, yada. So I think, you know, what they're finding is that when you mix directors, you don't necessarily get a good product. And of course, I, I before anyone who's listening tweets at me to say it i do know that the original trilogy was directed by i think three different people it's hard for me to ascribe my current theory of of why the sequel trilogy was bad to the original trilogy didn't george lucas still have an overarching hand in everything sure so 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 that that right there could be it you know it might not be as much about the directing as it is about the writing obviously you have creators like taika waititi and jj abrams and uh ryan johnson who want to do both and who want full creative control and if they want that fine but like you know uh, i think with the original trilogy there were a lot of direct all those directors were willing to let the story be the story because probably because they saw the potential in it i would think if what anything really, it would be good sorry for, for them to, no it's fine if for anything i'm wrapping up i know i'm talking a lot but i think what would be good is if they if they wanted to do another trilogy because i'm sure they will we need to have at least the broad strokes of a three movie story on paper before you film the first shot i don't know if that'll happen but that's how the first original trilogy worked and even to an extent the prequel trilogy worked the same way so i'm sorry you were saying well i'm just hoping because this is the first time we've really gotten confirmation that there is another full-length star wars movie penned for the cinemas like this is the first time we've really gotten confirmation of that we obviously knew about television shows and worlds being developed for books and comics and stuff but this is the first next step in terms of movies and i'm really hoping that they don't go the route of the mcu 
And I, I mean, now Taika Waititi is kind of like the the overlap now, finally, between Lucasfilm and the MCU. And I know Disney owns them both right. now. And I really just hope that they find a story, they find a, a small cast of characters, and they stick with them as they have done in the previous trilogies. I would hate to see this devolve into something kind of like the MCU. And I know it's very successful for the MCU to have a bunch of different strands of movies and television shows that intertwine but i don't think star wars is the type of franchise and fan base that's really set up for that and i know that the fan base also overlaps with the mcu but i think that this star wars has always been about following the epic tale of a jedi like one person with his entourage of people and i think if it becomes about more of a world instead of focusing on that one hero that you can rally behind I don't know how successful it will be, and I don't know if I'll be on board. Because as we know, right. like having these epic worlds in the movies is just so tiring. It only has a shelf life, and obviously the MCU is still going, but like after a while, people get tired. So I hope they keep it into like condensed chunks of trilogies. I would like that. I'm not even sure. You know, so you mentioned that you want to follow a Jedi, and I, I think for the most part that's true. I don't even know if it needs to be a Jedi. Like, like. I've mentioned before that what I was hoping for with the Mandalorian was that it would be a very a very force free story, and obviously we've we know now that it's not. But but I still like what they what they're pursuing or what they at least at one point were pursuing, which is we have a gunslinger in the Star Wars universe, and he does he can't use the force. He's not a Jedi, but he's still like you said a hero you can rally behind. And another thing I want to mention before we move on is we talked I think last fall, and I did a quick Google to confirm that. Do you remember when? David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were slated to work on the new Star Wars trilogy. That was instantly supposed to happen in 2022, and they have since dropped out. So, tinfoil hat time, they presented something to Star Wars, to Lucasfilm and Disney, and Lucasfilm and Disney said, this is too dark, what's course correct? I could see that. Yeah, I, I, I think, and it, in, to my mind, that's the right move, because, I mean, especially given what those two did with Game of Thrones, but but... I don't think Star Wars can be the super dark brooding thing. You know, again, the Mandalorian kind of initially portrayed itself as that, but then quickly it wasn't that, right? It was a show about Baby Yoda. There's always going to be this childlike aspect of Star Wars that needs to be uh, nurtured, I think, as, as, as an IP. But but let's talk about let's talk about video games for a second. Still staying in the Star Wars universe. Uh, we got some exciting news. Uh, there's a Star Wars VR series called Vader Immortal. Uh, coming to PlayStation VR later this summer. I don't think there's an exact date on this. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I know it had already launched for Oculus, but they're planning for it to come to PlayStation VR this summer. The concept art for this, I mean, uh, so I don't think there are, there are any videos. I haven't seen any videos. I've just read this article and looked at these images, but they are extremely compelling. The lightsaber fights are supposed to be super realistic and obviously you're using force powers and all that i'm super excited i mean i've been waiting for a vr a star wars vr game for psvr i don't think there is one right now and i I sure as heck want one so i've been waiting for a compelling game for playstation vr for quite some times it seems to me that for psvr it's far and few between for to find a game that i get excited about and it's about darn time that one has appeared Yeah, so the story of this is apparently you're a Force-sensitive smuggler who gets conscripted into Darth Vader's service because he is trying to resurrect Padme, obviously, who died of a broken heart after childbirth. Right. So also worth noting, uh, written by David S. Goyer, 
uh, written and executive produced by David Esquire. And for those who don't know who that is, uh, frequent collaborator with Christopher Nolan. So worked on the Dark Knight movies, uh, worked on Man of Steel, which I know people had their feelings about that. Needless to say, he has a huge number of of cinema credits to his name. So so there's clearly a focus on story. And, and like I said, pair that with the visuals that we're seeing and take my money. I, again, I, I don't think there's a release date for this yet, but it, it says this summer. Well, I mean, just the idea of being able to have lightsaber battles in VR, like that's what right. we've all been waiting for. Let's be real. I mean, Beat Saber is probably the closest that we've come to that on the PlayStation VR <laughs> for the most part. Like that's the closest right. lightsaber thing you're going to have right at the moment. So I think having a full, because I think there's three episodes of this, correct? So like a trilogy of games where you get to have lightsaber battles, sign me up, I am ready. Well, it's one of those things where you wonder, I mean, I think I said this with Avengers too, the Avengers video game, it was, why did it take so long? And when you look at a, a PlayStation Move controller, it looks like a freaking lightsaber. So like, what again, what took so long for this to happen is kind of the main question, but I guess we don't really need the answer to that now that we know that it's coming. It, it was probably held on by intellectual property not wanting their label on right. something that might be a dud i'd have to guess that uh as, as sad as it is but again the good news is it looks like we're out of the woods there and we're going to be actually getting a star wars vr game that looks super super cool so that's something to look forward to we're going to talk about disney even more because our next topic is the hercules remake so again as i said before i don't think this is really news to anyone you know we've had we've had cinderella we have mulan coming very soon what, what, what am i not thinking of Beating the Beast, Lion King, if you count that as a live action, I guess you do. So Hercules was kind of kind of one of the next ones in the hopper for this. And uh, it has essentially been confirmed that it's coming. Tap, it, tapping the producers, Disney has tapped the producers from The Lion King, Tron Legacy, and The Mandalorian to produce. And uh, John Favreau's name is being mentioned as potentially uh, directing, along with Joe and Anthony Russo, of course, of the Avengers Endgame and Infinity War and all that. So, you know, this is obviously huge news. John Favreau, I would think, would be the first choice, given that he, first of all, has done Marvel stuff with them, but also he's done The Jungle Book, he's done The Lion King, The Mandalorian. Clearly, uh, Disney is a fan of his. Yeah, and he would be perfect to orchestrate the massive beast fights that are in that movie. There's a there, and we should, I want to talk about, yeah, let's get into the nuts and bolts of the movie. I mean, I haven't watched Hercules in a long time. It, when I was a kid... This was one of my favorite VHS tapes that I owned. I still listen to Go the Distance sometimes. Me too. Because it's it's a freaking inspirational jam. I'm not going to apologize for it. But let's talk about casting. I mean, I think the casting, like what I see most in terms of castings that people want, they tend to concern the singing ladies. I can't think of their names in the movie. And, you know, there's obvious people who are saying Beyonce needs to be involved in that. And like Rihanna. I so and, disagree. And, you know, you're so, anti-Beyonce. That's, that's surprising to me. So my big thing is that Hercules is all about going from zero to hero. And one of the things that I loved about Aladdin was that the stars of the movie were not already well-known names. Like, right, they, but Aladdin didn't they had, do very well. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but I mean, aside it? from Will Smith, though, the thing that I really liked and that I found found endearing about the character of Aladdin like obviously he did have acting experience in the past but this was like his first breakout film and there's something about these Disney characters that you've grown up with and it's very difficult to have 
some big celebrity that you already know and seeing their face as that big character. Like, I was very skeptical, and we had talked about this before Aladdin even came out of Will Smith playing the genie. And I think he did a really good job with it, but there was a lot of internal struggling on my part as I watched the movie to be like, well, this isn't the genie, this is Will Smith. And so I think with Hercules, I would like to see a lot of smaller names. I would like to see new up-and-comers, new talents. I mean, Hercules is supposed to be about a young man. I would like to not see some already made star. I want to see somebody new come to the scene. See, I, it's just me. I disagree with you there. For the, the singing ladies, we'll call them, you got to have pipes. And Beyonce has got Hudson. pipes. Um, yeah. I'm Jennifer really... Hudson, uh, I can't think of any other. I think I said Rihanna. I don't know. If, I've don't seen know Lizzo. Lizzo will be great. Yeah, she's been put out there to be one of the singing ladies, I think. I think all of these people sound great, honestly. The main thing, too, and talk about existing stars, Danny DeVito is slotted to return. And yes, yes, 150%, yes. That makes sense. And 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 the thing about that, too, is like you mentioned, you know, in terms of Aladdin, you mentioned Will Smith being the genius, kind of a mental block for you. And the thing is, it was a mental block for everyone, but I think a huge reason for that is is robin williams so i i think you know when you look back on on hercules there was no one who was bringing vocal talent the way that robin williams brought his talents to aladdin so those shoes were impossible to fill of course will smith i guess did a pretty good job i, I never actually saw aladdin but i understand i definitely understand where you're coming from nerd bomber in terms of wanting fresh faces and i think i think the character of hercules himself that's a prime candidate for i i mean Again, we're we're talking about the singing girls, and there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of possibilities there. Danny DeVito returning makes perfect sense, but for like for Meg and and Hercules themselves, I, I don't know who I see who I see there. Like I could for Zeus, I could see a Kurt Russell situation, but you know Hercules and Meg, I think you get fresh people in. I I, I think you're right about that. I agree on those two. The other one that I'd like to see existing fame is for Pain and Panic. The my number one choice of the people's choice we'll call it was jonah hill and michael Sarah. i think that would be amazing that'd be a pretty fantastic combo yeah so this is i mean you know i think before this was even announced we were seeing people saying oh for this for this we get this for this person and for this person we get this actor but like the ones that i remember are the ones that i've already said kurt russell and the singing girls and, and you mentioned danny devito of course i think pain and pleasure as jonah hill and michael Sarah would be great too but Hades is a big one. Hades, Hades is a big one that I also don't know the answer to. I, like, I, I think Hades could also be an established actor, but I think you're right that the protagonist, Hercules himself, So I don't know who plays Hercules. Of what I've seen um, people sp- speculating about is Benedict Cumberbatch as Hercules, but I think he would be a fantastic... No, 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 no wait, let me finish, absolutely let me not. I think he would be a fantastic Hades. I think he he's could not, do that role very well. I don't see He's that not either. young enough. He's not old enough. I think you need like a Jason Isaacs, like okay. someone who's who's got some gray. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I picture Hades as being an older person. One but. that that I absolutely cannot get behind is Ariana Grande as Meg. Whoever they oh. pick as Meg has to have, and, and pardon my French, a little bit of a bitch face, in my opinion. <laughs> That's a very, very strange... Uh, because, well, in the she's standoffish, she's kind of rolls her eyes a lot, but she opens up in the end. And it has to be someone who can who can kind of do that. And 
Who's who's Ashton Kutcher's wife? Actually, now that I'm thinking about Mila it. Kunis. Mila Kunis, I think, could play off those facial expressions but very well. I think she's well. too old. Like she if you could, could go back in time off. and you could get younger Mila Kunis, but right now she's too old. She doesn't like, really age. Hercules is supposed to be about a young guy. Like he's not old in the movies. Right. Well, what about uh, Haley Steinfeld? Feld. Field. I, I can get behind that. She was on Pitch that. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I was. That was actually who I was thinking of as well, but I couldn't remember her name for the life of me. Anna Kendrick, maybe. No. I, 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 I don't think, think that's right. Anna Kendrick is even, I think, a little bit too old for that role. Her, plus, her face just is too bubbly. She's a too bubbly face. She she is very happy all the time. I'll grant you that. Like, I really um, think if they could discover somebody for this role, that would be their best bet. For at least Hercules and Meg, those are the two most iconic roles, I believe, in the entire movie. It really stinks. I'm too old. Yeah, aren't we all? Well, well okay. So we want to know. It's time for our, our social meets shout out for the episode. We want to know what you guys think on the social meets. Who do you want to play these characters, including Hercules and Megara, but especially the surrounding cast as well, because it sounds like we think that they're more prime candidates for for actual a-list power so i am at illegal lady illegal lady ow legal 86 sorry got my twitter handle wrong at ow legal 86 uh on twitter we also have at ow tactic and at ow nerd bomber we want to hear from you tell us what your ideal what your dream casting choices for this movie are whether you're a disney fan or you're not just based on conventional wisdom oh we'd love to hear from you so we're going to take a quick break now as we often do to shout out some of our friends but before we do I would be remiss if I did not shout out our fantastic Patreon producer, Mr. Ben Jagness, supporting us week after week. Uh, huge thanks to Ben. Ben supports us on Patreon at the night level, which is the highest of our three levels. And as a result, he gets a producer shout out like this one in every episode. He gets input into our weekly game segment, which is coming later. He also gets access to our monthly secret segment and vlog. And he gets a periodic opportunity to guest on the show, which is coming up. Uh, talking to you now, Ben. Get hyped for that. So if you want to be like Ben, you can head over to Online Warriors. No, you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast and check out the details. There's also two lower levels of support, the Squire level, which gets you monthly secret segment and vlog access, and the page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. So head on over there, check it out. We would love your support. Uh, but for now, we will take a short break and be right back to talk to you guys about whatever our next topic is, which I forgot. Assassin's oh Creed! Gosh. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, how could I forget? We'll be right back. Hello everyone, and thank you for listening to the Online Warriors podcast. My name is Chocolabert80, and I'm here to tell you about Cross Atlantic Gaming. We are a gaming-centric podcast. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all your other fantastic podcast catchers. Check out our website at www.crossatlanticgaming.com. Now back to the show. Tectic, Nerd Bomber, Illegal, take it away. Okay, welcome back. Guys, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This is this is one of the bigger pieces of news from the past week, of course. Assassin's Creed, obviously, a huge game franchise. And they are heading into Viking Town. Which I, you know, I guess when you think about it, I didn't see this coming. I don't know if this was already announced or anything. But it's a perfectly reasonable historical, I don't know, arch- archetype to for them to tackle. There was um, a bit of a leak a while back where the title Assassin's Creed Ragnarok had leaked. So I had kind of been expecting something with Vikings. I don't truly understand why they switched it from Ragnarok to Valhalla. Probably to avoid Thor confusion. I would probably. Guess. Actually, yeah, that's a really good point. I don't know. But uh, what I do know is 
there is, and I've known this for years, and if you're a video game fan, you probably know it. There is no one who makes video game trailers quite like Assassin's Creed, or I guess more accurately, quite like Ubisoft or Ubisoft, however you want to pronounce it. Their trailers are cinematic beauties every single time. Because and their games no are cinematic beauties. Their game, So their games do have that quality, but like I, here's my experience with Assassin's Creed. Uh, I played all of Assassin's Creed 1. It was fine. I played part of Assassin's Creed 2 and stopped because I was getting bored. Oh my because God. I couldn't. You have the same ahead. problem that I have too with Assassin's Creed. It's just so much. It's a lot. Well, that's that's not my only problem, but that's definitely one problem. My main problem, and I, it's hard to even call it a problem. It's more of a me problem than, a, than an Assassin's Creed problem. I think when I watch the trailers for Assassin's Creed, I mean, obviously what you're thinking is, I want to play that character. I want to do that. And it promises more than the game can deliver. And the game gets certainly gets close, gets as close as the game could come, I'd imagine. But there is something about the combat that they show in these trailers, the fluidity of it, the and also the, the brutality of it simultaneously, that it's so hard to recreate, but it, it looks so amazing. I've literally, like, I've watched, you know, you're on YouTube, you go on YouTube just to watch whatever. You don't even know what you're going to watch. You just go to YouTube to watch something. I will occasionally go and just watch Assassin's Creed trailers because they are just fantastic. The music, the the camera work, the again, the, the combat mostly, but it's just, ah, it's amazing. So, so for me, what I've found is in all of the Assassin's Creed's, and this is going to segue into this game that I've played, I never finish them because I get to a point, and maybe it's just because I'm terrible, um, where... Hey, man, you're not terrible. Unless... You're, I think unless, you're a great guy. Unless I punch an enemy, then run, use stealth, get a good hit in them, run, use stealth, get another good hit, and I ain't taking them out because my character is just never strong enough to dodge every each and every single hit and take them down. And so eventually it just becomes this daunting task to continue because the game just gets too hard for me. Well, I think so, part of that problem is the Ubisoft problem because there's so many side missions that I think they expect you to do at least a lot of them. And like up your skill tree, essentially. Right. And it's not... Just want to do the story. Yeah. They don't make it easy to just do a single linear path through the story anymore. Right, which with Assassin's Creed 1, there weren't any side missions. All you did was go kill this guy. All right, you killed him. Good job. Go kill this next guy. So, it, And I think that's probably why I got through that one, is that it's very linear, it's very story-driven, and I, I'm sure it was demanding in its own ways, but like it's not... It's so, not quite the same experience as like with two, they immediately just inundate you with like, oh, you can get these outfits and do these things and like make these inventions, go to Da Vinci's house. And I was like, oh my God, like just can I kill some people? So when I saw this trailer, the the one of the things I saw was that they're, they are bringing back battleships, which, well, there's another thing that we got to do to level up. And I immediately started getting nervous about all of that. The other thing is, is this style of fighting really going to take away truly what makes assassin's creed assassin's creed right because vikings are not assassins they're more in your face berserker style well, right and, and what i've read they've they're actually giving you a choice of how you want to approach the game so this is a, a little bit of a snippet from a Windows Central article that I have pulled up, but it says a revamped combat system allows players to dual wield any combination of weapons, including two shields, against a greater variety of enemies than ever before. Whether you want to brutally decapitate them with a war axe or stealthily kill them in the shadows, 
with your hidden blade, the choice is yours. Two shields? I'm very confused by that statement. I, I mean, that can't the be thing... fun. Like, how could you have no, fun? No. Honestly, like, I, whenever I play some kind of combat game and I have to have a shield, it makes me sad and upset. It gets and in I, the way. Yeah, I usually do it to, like, up my armor class, but nobody ever really wants to carry a shield, do they? It's boring. I, I mean, th- th- and I, this is touching on a, a thing, like, like you said, Vikings are berserkers. And, like, th- even in the trailer, like, of course, the trailers, I, I've already said I loved it and it was great. And, like, but the thing about it is it's a Viking that's fighting. Well, a bunch of Vikings that are fighting. We're kind of focused on one Viking in particular. And then at one point he said, oh, he says Odin is with us, which led me to believe, oh, there's an assassin like in the shadows. They might have even showed an assassin somewhere in the shadows. I was like, okay, the assassin's coming. It's going to be cool. And then, no, the Viking just has an arm blade and stabs this guy in the eye right at the end, right? when he's not expecting it. So it's like, I, I always wonder... I wonder this about about Assassin's Creed. I think the third one, Assassin's Creed Three, which was the the Revolutionary War one, and especially about Origins. I remember when the trailer for Origins came out, I was laughing at it because you're running a pyramids and like like to me, Assassin's Creed, based on my experience, which is admittedly limited, is you're you're climbing buildings, you're on the rooftops, you're running around, you're you're sneaking around. You're not like on a battlefield running at guys with guns. In the case of the Revolutionary War one, you're not you're not a Viking who's just you know acts in people you're supposed to be in a that's not what an assassin is to, to a large extent in my opinion an assassin is a person who sneaks around walks up finds a way to cut your throat stab you subtly yeah and I, get away i get this weird feeling so and also like assassin's creed odyssey and origins the these new assassin's creed games are really getting very rpg like even in valhalla they're saying that You'll be able to forge political alliances, choose dialogue options that influence the story. Political the, alliances. They're going to have raids and settlement growing and the ability to expand your power with influence. And with the raids, you, I guess you can pillage enemy villages. Like that doesn't sound like an assassin game to me. Yeah. It sounds like they're taking the Assassin's Creed franchise because it's popular and they, they had in their head, like, I wanted to make a Viking game. Right. How it's can we name. make this popular? And so they popped assassin's creed on it and this is what we're getting and like i know i think they were saying that they're going to continue assassin's creed always has this like futuristic story component to it where they're like following the ancient story yeah and i think they're going to continue that but ultimately like i feel like these games are starting to get away from the original assassin's creed and would it be better to just call it something else you know, like make well, a new no, franchise. It won't make as much, but it won't make as much money. I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of like, these are, for all we know, this game was a game that was just called Ragnarok. It wasn't called Assassin's Creed. It wasn't called Valhalla. And then someone at Ubisoft was like, hey, we'll buy this property because what you have looks great. And then, I don't know, throw some Templar crap in there and we have an Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> so like it's, yeah, it's, it's, I totally agree with that. I think it's losing sight of I mean, fundamentally, like, what it means to be an assassin, first of all, but, like, also the spirit of the original games, which I did play. It doesn't... They don't look like that anymore, and they haven't for a while. Are they but great? Like, I'm sure they still are, but, like, it's it's different. To be clear, like, I'm super stoked about this game, and it looks super interesting. The trailer was super exciting and really detailed and incredibly captivating, and it... I mean, I, I have been clamoring for a Viking game. Like, God of War was one big Viking game that came out, but I feel like it's still a relatively untapped area in gaming. I mean, you have a bunch of cowboy games at this point. You have a bunch of zombie games. You Even now, there's been a couple, like, 
Roman time games, I think having, I mean, and we all know there's been like fantasy and like medieval games up the wazoo, but having a, a true Viking game, there's really only one or two that I can think of. And it's, it's a great setting. Like, yeah, I'm excited for it. It just doesn't seem like it's an Assassin's Creed game. The other no, like thing, I said, it's going to be great. It's just, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to even consider Assassin's Creed at this point. Sorry, Technic, go ahead. The other thing that confuses me about this is the, the mere mention of Odin leads you to believe that there's a mythological, the mythological kind of magic side of it. And again, we're, I, I think you're absolutely right where did Assassin's Creed just slap their label onto some already Viking lore game and just said, yep, this is the next Assassin's Creed because assassins don't use magic. They use pure skill and a crow. And I mean, that's, that, it, right? that's a good point because you look or at the Falcon. other Assassin's Creed games up until, I, I don't really remember Origins and I know Tactic, you played Odyssey, so maybe you can help me out here. But at least in the original Assassin's Creed games, there were there was no magic. There, no, like, was there just, was like was mystique, all but it was, there was no magic. you had your, your bird. That was it. Was there any in in Odyssey? Like, like, is this the first appearance, potential appearance of magic, or have they existed? Has that existed in other games? I honestly don't know. There I, was I've like lost the, track. The only extent of the magic was like the weird crystal shard things, which that goes back to the the Templar. So it wasn't really like your character used magic to fight. It was all hand to hand combat, special skills, things like that. Which even then, going back to losing the the secret sauce. You were, as you fought, you became a ranked hitman type person where all the other assassins knew who you were. That's not an assassin. If everyone knows who you are, right. you're not a good assassin. <laughs> then, then, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm trying to think about when Assassin's Creed departed from, like, I'm trying to, I'm, 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 I'm Googling it now. Like, what was the first jumping off point? in terms of like the first two i believe or three it was the books. pirate one where it really because yeah, diver- the first two or three games were you're like in italy kind of kind of look in place and like yeah like there's like one when you're in damascus one you're in italy you're in a, a vaguely european slash middle eastern city and like the locale is pretty similar like but when you get to i'm, I'm trying to scroll now and, and figure it out i think it was assassin's creed 3 which is actually the revolutionary war one oh, that's yeah. the one where you get a a huge jumping off point in terms of that's when I feel like they might have just gone out and for, it wouldn't surprise me if the news came out that like oh Ubisoft has just been buying properties from other people and reskinning them like someone might have come up with a really cool revolutionary war era game and Ubisoft saw that and was like we're gonna Assassin's Creedify this and and went and got it I mean I, I don't want to like I feel like we need to take a second and there are probably Assassin's Creed fans who are listening who are just livid with us right now like assassin's creed is a great franchise it's probably like it's more likely that it's just not for me and it's it's been great the entire time but it is interesting to think about the core concept of the game and how it has shifted through all these iterations and where it is now even hardcore fans can't deny that it has certainly evolved it's meta yeah it started as a story focused on ezio or however you pronounce his name no altair was the first one then it went to ezio was it yeah, Altair was episode one or Assassin's Creed one. I think Assassin's Creed two was Ezio, and then Ezio was it was Ezio for Brotherhood and Revelations, and then you got Kenway for Assassin's Creed three, and then it started bouncing around, ping ponging to a bunch of different people. I feel like when they had a focus on certain characters, that they kind of were all interconnected and carried from story to story. It was a little bit more tightly focused, and then 
it branched off somewhere. And like I said, that doesn't mean they're bad games. Honestly, for me, I think I'll probably like, so here's the caveat. I've actually never played an Assassin's Creed game and I wanted to get into it, but there's like so many of them now and they're so overwhelming. And I feel like I need to understand and go back from the beginning and just play starting from the first one and work my way up. But like at the same time, I just want to jump into the RPG type ones because that's the kind of game that I like to play. Like for me, I do get excited when I'm reading about Valhalla and seeing how you can have settlements and you'll you can have branching dialogue options that'll really influence the path that your game takes. Like to me, that's exciting. And being able to I think this is the first Assassin's Creed where you can fully customize your character. Like that's cool to right. me. I like that. I want it's- that. I like I like playing that type of game. So I don't like I feel like I want to play this game, but I'm also I have this history of what ten games now that I need to catch up on, and it's kind of holding me back a little bit. Like it's, for it, me, if they didn't call it Assassin's Creed, I would probably be more likely to play it. Well, because I, I think what it is, because I, I was kind of in a similar situation when I started playing Assassin's Creed One. It had already been out for at least a few years, and I was I was kind of trying to play catch up with it, and. I think from game to game, except for the Ezio games, which there's like three of those, and I think they probably have a continuing storyline. I think the only continuing storyline amongst all the games probably happens in the future, quote unquote, future world, like with all the animus and stuff. I don't know. And again, someone's listening to this and saying, you idiots, this is how it is. Go talk to us on Twitter and tell us. But I I definitely agree that I, I, I think Ubisoft might eventually hit a point where people would be more likely to play Valhalla if it was just Valhalla. And if it wasn't Assassin's Creed, there, there's there's going to be a break-even point where people aren't going to want to invest all of their time in understanding this huge ex- extended universe, you know, before getting into the game they really want to play. And the more, the more they jump around between historical archetypes, the more likely it is that that will eventually happen. And like the important so. thing to note too is that this is one of the first games that have been confirmed to be on the next generation of consoles because this is coming out yes. holiday 2020 and that there's no confirmed release date, but they're already saying it will be released on both this generation of consoles and the next. And right. luckily for an Xbox user, they also said that this is going to be one of the games where if you buy it on the Xbox One and later upgrade your console, it will carry over so you don't need to buy it twice. But like if you're a brand new person, you're investing in a console for the first time with the next generation, you yeah. like do you want to jump into this long storied franchise? Because I don't know if I would. And granted, there's like like the same thing's gonna happen to people with Halo Infinite. So it's it's not an uncommon problem, but it's it might eventually become a problem. Is you know, and it's a similar problem, I would argue, to movies, is that we're so built our entertainment is so founded on building a money maker that just kind of churns and and it's a huge franchise that has many installments but eventually you're going to start losing people because you can't get fresh people in because they don't want to have to shoulder the weight of the past nine games that they didn't play yeah well that's so, not so even it's, not to like bring in another news topic but with mission impossible and like the whole news that the next mission impossible with tom cruise might be shot in space I don't care. I never saw any of the Mission Impossibles. I'm going to be sitting through this movie oh. and I won't understand half of what's going on. You guys... Oh, I care deeply. Like, I care very deeply about that. The irony of that statement is hilarious. Well, no, like... Okay. Would you say watching all of them is impossible? For me, yes. You guys took me to a drive-in and it was like the second movie or maybe the third in a lineup. And 
I remember the three of us sitting there and you two were awake and I almost never fall asleep, even at a drive-in movie where it's like the two in the morning start for the last movie. I almost always Mission power Impossible through. Impossible to drive-in? We did. And I fell asleep. I love the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, full disclosure, uh, I don't know. The Tom Cruise news, which we'll, we might talk about that next week. I don't think that was specifically associated with Mission Impossible. I think that was just Tom Cruise wants to shoot a movie in space because he's Tom Cruise. But if Mission Impossible does shoot in space, I'll tell you, I'm there. I love Mission Impossible. I recommend it. The franchise ties are more now than they were with like the first and second ones, but they're still pretty light. You could definitely watch a Mission Impossible movie and understand what was going on. Um, there were character relationships that I did, I was not invested in, and they expected me to care when we saw it, and I just didn't You don't care. need to care about anybody except Tom Cruise when you're watching Mission Impossible. That's just a stone-cold fact right there. Um, but anyways, we, we digress. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, like, like Nerd Bomber said, drops this holiday season. Uh, go watch the trailer if you haven't already. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll probably be talking about it again at the very least when it comes out you know a few months down the road so let's shift now shift gears into our what are you up to wednesday i think tectic wants to go first today i think i think he mentioned having something he wanted to discuss am i incorrect there tectic uh, a couple things this has been quite an exciting week for me first and foremost i have decided to take up a new hobby which is kind of should have been an old hobby but i just never took it up so a while back nerd bomber got me a ukulele and I played it a couple times and then got really frustrated trying to learn the notes and the frets because I've never played a guitar before. It was just kind of learn it and figure it out. And then I found out, and feel free to laugh at me, those of you who play stringed in for in instruments, I found out about tabs. <laughs> tabs are amazing. They basically, yeah. it's it's music sheets that just tell you, put your fingers here, dummy. And now I can start playing it so much easier. I've, I'm working on learning how to play currently the Animal Crossing intro tune. And I know that sounds silly, but it's an easy pick kind of rhythm. And there's no strumming necessary, so I can do each note one by one. So again, easier for me to learn and pick up and have fun with it. So that's the first piece of uh, what am I up to. And the other thing is we started watching a show on Amazon Prime called Upload. And at first, I was a little kind of skeptical and uncomfortable with the concept, which is person dies, instead of just dying, they upload their consciousness into a virtual world where they can live out the rest of however long their data is available in this virtual world and never really die. Kind of like a pay-as-you-go immortality. And I have to say, the show is quite good, and I do recommend it. So just so you guys know, it is from Greg Daniels, who was responsible for The Office and Parks and Recreation and also the upcoming Space Force show. So if you enjoyed those type of shows, that will probably play into whether or not you'll enjoy this type of show. This is a little bit more, I would say this is a little heavier than either of the shows that I mentioned. It doesn't look as funny. Yeah. Yeah. but it, it, it's if you like that kind of humor, I think you would like the humor in Upload. And it has Robbie Amell, who was in The Duff, and he was a Firestorm in the Arrow and Flash universe on the CW. There you oh. go. Recommend. Daniels, I'm sold. Yeah. Check it out. Nerd Bomber, what do you have for us? 
Uh, so along the same vein, we've pretty much powered through two seasons of really good television in this past week. Um, we also watched on Apple TV Plus uh, an Apple TV original called Home Before Dark. And this was actually a show based on uh, not a totally real world story, but a real world girl. So essentially, the story focuses on this nine-year-old little girl whose father is a homicide reporter in New York City. He loses his job and then moves back home to his where he grew up, his hometown. And so she, after watching her father and his career, has a huge passion for reporting in New York. She had had her own little like newsletter thing that she was distributing and really wanted to be a journalist. So she starts a new paper when they move back to his hometown and she actually ends up uncovering a cold case that has been plaguing the town and her father and that everyone's kind of been covering up for the last 20 years or so um Mm. and so the actual like cold case part is a little bit different than what happened in real life but overall like it's got a great cast um the story was super engaging a lot of the episodes ended on kind of cliffhangers so that you were always compelled to watch the next episode and it was just a really mysterious good story i really liked it it was really well done too like the production value of the show was great as actually all of the apple tv plus shows that we've watched so far have had great production value it literally keeps you guessing till the end so if you Sounds think you are clever think again I always think I'm clever, so it sounds like I should check it out. Maybe be wrong. Yeah. Uh, on my end, uh, I really have uh, one one update because uh, it's been taking up a lot of my time. Um, guys, Luigi's Mansion 3. It's fantastic. If you own a Switch, if you're lucky enough to own a Switch, and you haven't played Luigi's Mansion 3, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a solid 9 out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10 so far. It's, it's, it's scratching all the right itches. I missed Nintendo platformers, man. They, they really know how to do it. Having a blast. Uh, also have played the I only own, own two games for my Switch, which is which is pretty much brand new. Uh, the other one is called Moving Out, which is uh, from Team Seventeen. They're the studio that did Worms. If you're familiar with Worms, which is like an old PC game from way back, oh, I loved uh, Worms. It's great. Well, it's so this game is not not really anything like Worms, but but the studio did a great job. It's very similar to Overcooked. If you're familiar with the Overcooked games, uh, but instead of cooking stuff, you're trying to move things. You're a moving crew. You're moving stuff out of a house into a truck. And you have to work together, and it's it's stressful in the in the same kind of pleasant way that Overcooked is. So if you're into that kind of game, if you're into couch co-op, it's fantastic. Would would definitely recommend it. So I'm I'm in Switch Town. I'm having a great time. Uh, happy to be here. I'm so glad you're finally in Switch Town. It's it's a it's truly a, a joy day in and day out. Quiz time, I think. Right? Yes, it is. Nerd bomber. A great quiz topic for you guys brought to us by our Patreon producer. Um, The quiz topic this week is whiskey. So I know Illegal is very excited about this as he's venturing into the whiskey world. But hopefully these questions do not give you an advantage because they're kind of out there. As I tried to do with the 80s movie trivia a while back, kind of tried to pick something unique. So in as much as I like whiskey, I don't think I know very much about it. So I'm okay with this. So these questions are going to be done in the Price is Right fashion. Again, they're all kind of numbers-based. So as long as you guys don't bust and you get closest to the number that is the correct answer, you will get a point. So let's just jump right, jump right into it. So the average measure of whiskey contains how many calories? Okay, I'll go first. I'm going to say I'm gonna say 12. What is an average measure of whiskey? Like a shot. 
worth? Like your your standard drink of whiskey? I'm going to say 20 calories. Okay. Are you guys like in dream world? You guys know that there are calories in whiskey, right? There are 64 calories on average in whiskey. I don't know calories. I don't know if you can even like eat anything that is only 20 calories. I wanted to say 50, but since he guessed 12, I just kept it safe. So I was going to say that was like impressive because it's fewer than a banana, but you guys think there should be like no calories in whiskey. So I don't um, think there's any calories in anything. That's where I am. It works out for me. Okay. So I'm, I'm losing. Fair enough. Tactic gets that point. Yeah. Yay. Okay, so the next question is, at what age did Jack Daniels learn how to make whiskey? Oh, God. Okay, well, I, okay, so I, don't, I go last. I go first. Trick question. Jack Daniels isn't a real person. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, he learned how to make whiskey at the ripe old age of 14. I was going to say, it, we're, you're, you're right in the ballpark. Uh, I was going to say 12, but I can't now because of the way Price is Right works. So I'm going to... Uh, I'll say 16 because I don't want to be the jerk that goes one over you. I'm going to say 16. Okay, so this one was my signature trick question. You guys both busted. He actually learned how to make whiskey at the ripe old age of six years old from a Come Lutheran on. minister. I don't. I should have gone lower. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, how would you retain that? At six years old, I feel like I would have no idea what was even going on. But It's not a trick question. It's just Jack Daniels was an interesting individual. <laughs> That's, I mean. He was a drunk individual from the sound yeah. of it. Taking the sauce at age six, my God. All right. All right. So the next question is, what is the earliest known record of whiskey production? What year? Uh, oh boy, this is early. I would imagine this this happened in Scotland, uh, which, as you know, is where scotch is made. Uh, this, I, I, like, we're in, like, Middle Ages territory. And maybe I'm blowing, maybe I'm absolutely wrong, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say, like, 1,200. All right, Tactic, what do you got for us? I think it was earlier than that. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 400 BC. Okay, so Illegal gets the point to tie it up. The earliest known date of whiskey production was in 1494. Oh, man. Okay, I I feel good. I was in there. All right, so we're we're tied up. Chris Columbus sailed the ocean blue chugging whiskey. (laughs) All right, next one up. What percentage of scotch is made in Scotland? And if you don't know, scotch is a type of whiskey. Okay, I'm going to say Scotland makes 23%. Oh, it's higher than that. I'm going to conservatively say 35%. It's actually 90% of scotch is made in Scotland. Yeah, I knew it was way higher. I just wanted to be safe. So why don't they call it Scotchland? (laughs) um, (laughs) Scotchland. Uh, That one's going to stick with me. All right, so I took the lead, right? You did. It's now two to one. This is going fantastic. So my next question is the barrels, which are used to make scotch. How many times can they be used? Um, this is, this is, this is, I have no idea. Six. I I don't know. Six. I complete hip shot. I have no idea. Tactic. What do you think? I can see the gears turning, smoke coming out of his ears. I think it's less than six, but... I feel like that would not be really, I'm trying to think manufacturing too. Like, do they line these barrels and, and is there things they do that they can reuse them? I'm going to go, you know what? Roll the dice. I'm going to go 15. Wow. All right. So you both busted on this one. They can be used up to four times yeah. when making scotch. I and think actually, it might be, 
is that what like single malt means and stuff? Because like, is single malt like they only use the barrel one time? Like, I, I don't know what that stuff means. I'm probably totally wrong. Again, someone's probably yelling at me right now through their podcast device. I don't know, but I do know that the barrel has a lot of, um, they, it contributes a lot of the flavor to the whiskey. I should have went with my gut. I was trying to play uh, loose and fast. I was pretty close with six, actually. I'm, I'm proud of myself, even though I busted. How many questions we got left here? Okay, we've got three questions left, and I have a couple backups in case we need to do any kind of tiebreakers. So right now it's okay. two to one. Um, the next, now we're going to transition over to bourbon, which is an American-made whiskey. It's made mm. from malted grains. What is the minimum percentage of corn that must be used to create bourbon in order for it to be classed as a bourbon? Give me one second. I have a bourbon right here. I'm what kidding. I know, what I know is that uh, corn makes or rain makes corn. Corn makes corn whiskey. makes whiskey. Whiskey makes my baby feel a little frisky. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna internalize that. Come up with a, come up with an answer. But Tactic, I think you're first. What percentage? Yeah. So what is the minimum percentage of corn that needs to be used? I'm gonna go thirty five percent minimum. I All right, illegal. I, I think it's lower. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say twelve. All right, so Tectic ties this up. Crap. Bourbon needs to use malted grains that are at minimum fifty-one percent corn. This is actually more relaxed than the rules that constitute what needs to be in a scotch. The only real hard and fast rule for bourbon, other than the corn, is that it needs to be made entirely within the United States of America. Because God bless America. All right, so if so someone ever up. tells you that they have a European bourbon, they're blowing smoke, folks. <laughs> so That's a good life pro tip right there. Keep it on the bourbon train. According to the Kentucky Distiller Association, what percent of all bourbon whiskey is produced in Kentucky? Um, this is a high number. Uh, well, hmm. I'm, act- I'm actually going gonna, gonna to lowball it. I'm going to say 40%. Good, because I was just going to be cheap on that one and say 50%. All right. So this one gets Tectic another point. 95% of all bourbon whiskey ah. is apparently produced in Kentucky. And just like that, he takes it. I should have gone with my gut. My whiskey gut. All right. So now I have to tie to get this last one right to tie it to force the tiebreaker. Yep. Frick. Okay. So for the final question, after Prohibition ended, James Beam got his distillery up and running in how many days whiskey's gonna be so disappointed in me if i don't if i don't pull this out well uh, tactic here first he started distilling in 1795 um and i'm gonna guess that it you took, just know that i have a bottle right next to me um oh. <laughs> i'm gonna guess that it took him because you said days 26 days all right, Illegal, no. what do you think? So this is, uh, in the beginning, uh, there was nothing, and then God said, let there be light, and then blah, 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 seven days. It took him seven days. It took him one week. Seven days. All right, so Tectic gets this one. You guys were both ah. very far off, though. It took him 120 days to get Why his distillery back up and running. All you need is a week. Come on. It's fine. You, you, you had all the stuff there. Crap on a stick. So Tectic, right. though, he breaks his losing streak. He finally wins yeah, it's been with weeks. a score of four to two. So he Congrats will be to the trivia champion for the week and God, he will be fire. able to host next week's trivia. Wow. Well, 
I'm I my my sincerest apologies to whiskey just as an institution. Uh, I still love you, uh, but I, I clearly didn't show up for this one. Um, you all did show up to listen, though, so we thank you for that. Uh, we really do enjoy doing this. We enjoy uh, having people listen, so we, we thank you. Um, if you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, you can head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. And uh, again, if you want, you can hit us up on the social meds at OWLegal86, at OWTactic, at OWNerdBomber. We'd love to chat with you. And uh, in the meantime, happy Revenge of the Sixth, and uh, we'll talk at y'all next week. Adios. Bye.